You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. But this morning, if you have a copy of God's Word, and I trust you do, turn over to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be talking a little bit about the Beatitudes and uh, in looking at the Beatitudes and Jesus' sermon and his teaching of his disciples and in teaching us about these things and how he wants us to live as believers in him, do you know anybody that can live these eight Beatitudes? If you do, talk to me. I'd love to meet them. Because I don't know of anyone who can live up to what this is all about even though we're to take our cross up daily and strive to get to that point. Amen? That's our goal. But it's so hard to do uh, in understanding these here. And I don't know of anyone other than myself who is probably happy all the time. If you don't believe me, just ask my wife. She's not here yet, but just ask her. I'm usually a happy person, but most of the time, when you start looking at the Beatitudes and thinking about what Jesus Christ is trying to teach to his disciples and living out the way God wants us to live and the way God has wanted us to live from the very beginning. And as we think about these things, I do want to go ahead and read uh, the Beatitude, uh, fifth chapter, fifth verse, and it says this, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So let's pray. Our Father and our God, this morning as we come to you, God, thanking you, Lord, for another beautiful day that you've given us, Lord, even though it's windy and cloudy. God, and a little cool for June, but God, it's still a day that the Lord has made, and we need to rejoice and be glad in it, no matter what, because of who you are and what you are. God, you are the giver and sustainer of life today, and God, we need to seek your face in all things, no matter what we face, no matter what we're up against, Lord. You tell us we're to be bold, but yet humble. We need to show love and not be prideful. God, help us today through that. God, just hide me behind the cross now. Lord, use me as a vessel. God, that, that your word would be ever lifted up and that your kingdom be glorified through it all. For it's in Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, this morning, as we look at the Beatitude number five uh, and think about what he's talking about here, for me, I break it down into looking at two different parts. Blessed are the meek. Well, what are the meek? Where does meek come from? What does meekness look like? How do we go about obtaining that meekness? Where do we, what, what do we do to get to that point to where we can understand that? Well, the first thing we need to do is understand what meekness is, right? Now, most of y'all are probably way smarter than I am, so y'all probably already know what the definition is, but I have to look it up, okay? So for me, meekness is this. An attitude of humility toward God an attitude of humility toward God and gentleness toward people springing from a recognition that God is in control. Is that not the way it's been from the very beginning? God has wanted to be in control from the very beginning, has he not? The way he set things up, God had a plan from the very beginning for the way things would go. Well, in the garden it kind of fell through, amen? And God still made a plan, right? He still had a way. He still knew what was going to take place. So the recognition, God in control, it says, although weakness and meekness may look similar, they are the same. Weakness is due to negative circumstances such as lack of strength or lack of courage. 
but meekness is due to a person's conscious choice. Do you have a conscience this morning? Is it clear? It is strength and courage under control coupled with kindness. Now that's what the definition that I looked up, that's what they gave me as the definition for meek was. When you start talking about meekness, you're talking about humility toward God and gentleness toward people. Do we have that gentleness toward people today? Do you see that at your workplace? Do you see that in the school system? Do you see that outside at Walmart, shopping malls? Anywhere you go, do you see gentleness toward people today? I don't see it, folks. I don't see it in the life, in a daily life that we live, you know. There again, I, as I told them in the first service, I, I was, I've been around people all week in different places, Myrtle Beach, hospitals, rest homes, in different places this week, Bible studies, and, and, and you, you look for these things in people. You look for the meekness in people. You look for the goodness in people. And I always want to find something good because for me it's about the positive things, not the negative. It used to be about the negative for me, but not anymore. Now it's about the positive things. Because when you know that you know that you know where you're going when you leave here, it makes a lot of difference. It gives you that strength and courage that you need because you know where it comes from. You know where to draw it from, and you know how to use it when you get it. The problem with me before when I was lost is I didn't know how to use it. Okay? I was prideful in what I was doing. I was not humble. I was not compassionate. I was not loving. I was not caring. Didn't matter to me. You could root hog or die for all I cared. Now it's not like that. That's the change. Okay, but you got to also understand this right here. Meekness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Go to Galatians chapter 5. It'll tell you all about the fruits of the Spirit, okay? And not only that, if you'll turn back over to Psalms, it'll tell you in Psalms 37 chapter 11 that not only will he give you an inheritance of the earth, but he'll give you an abundance of peace to go with it. That's the God that you need to be serving. But what happens to us is we don't want to obey God's word, right? Okay, like I told him, I'm going to carry you back all the way to the Garden of Eden to start with this morning. I'm going to take you back to God preparing this place that we call earth. This place that we look at with all of the, the, the planets and stuff in it, the stars in the sky, the waters, the seas, the earth, the animals, everything that God made, guess what he said? It is good, right? So we know from that all good things come from God, amen? All good things come from God. He created the heavens and the earth. What did he say then? I'm going to create man and woman in, my, in our likeness. And what did he say after that? It is good, amen? All good things come from God, right? So what happens? He throws Satan out of heaven. What did Satan and his angels decide to do? Well, we're going to make a mess of this. This garden that they're living in is too perfect. It's too pure. It's too bright. We got to put some darkness in it. So what happens? They eat of the fruit. Sin enters in. Guess what happens then? Man is separated from God, is he not? It's just that simple. That's just how fast it can happen. Okay? So we went from a pure and righteous garden now to a sinful place. The same way we are today. Living in sin. Why did it happen? 
Did God tell them not to eat of the fruit, or did he say it was all right to eat of the fruit, or to just maybe take one bite of the fruit, and it would be okay? God said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. Ain't that what he said? Don't eat of it. And they did. Do you know what happened next? Did they hide themselves in the garden? God came looking for them. Did he call them out? Why did they hide themselves? Was their conscience bothering them? You think there was something going on in their mind? We have done something wrong. Because we have found out that we don't have any clothes on. And we've got to hide ourselves. Because we were disobedient to God. That's what happens to us. Believers and non-believers, believe it or not. That's hard to imagine, is it not, that a believer would be disobedient to God's word, amen? But you've got to think about this meekness thing a little bit further. You've got to take it on down the road a little bit further. The meek are those who quietly submit to God. The meek are those who quietly submit to God. They're not boastful about what they do, okay? They submit to God because they're humble. They're, guess what? They're like Adam and Eve in the garden. They're hidden, okay? But yet when they realize that they can't go any further the way I was in my sin, I needed help. So I humbly submitted myself to him. A meek person is one who can bear an insult. Is that you? Or do you get to the point that you just want to lay hands on somebody for insulting you? Can you suffer a little humility for the love of Christ? Or do we let our anger and our frustration and our pride get the best of us in what we do and how we handle ourselves? A meek person is silent, return with a soft answer and patience, keep possession of their own souls. The meek are happy even living in this world. Are you happy living in this world? You should be. I'm living in the world, but that don't mean I am of this world, amen? I'm not a part of it. I don't go along with it if it's contrary to what God's word says because I'm obedient to who first? Him. And if I'm obedient to God first and I'm following his statutes and living the way he wants me to live, then guess what? Lord, leave me here as long as you will, but if you're ready to take me, I'm ready to go. Amen? It's just that simple. Humble, meek, peaceful, loving, caring, compassionate. That's the way we're supposed to be. That's the way God wants us to walk. That's why Jesus is teaching this here to his disciples here got all these people around this mountain and he's standing up there teaching this to his disciples because he knows one day they're going to have to walk in this world and live in it the way we do and they're going to see things that we see and they're going to face things that we face that goes contrary to what God's word says but yet they still have to be meek don't matter how smart you get graduates I applaud you but don't think you're too good too big for your britches okay God is still in control I want you to understand that. And there's still things that you've got to do for him. So I applaud you, but yet also it says, I'm going to retrain you to be humble and follow me. So there's always going to be training. Just when you think you got it, guess what? You ain't got it. And that's Robinson County English. That's somewhere I was raised at. 
It says, meekness, meekness is closely related to humility. That's something none of us like, right? We don't want to be humiliated. Humility is first and foremost a divine work of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear what I said? Meekness is closely related to humility and is first and foremost a divine work of the Holy Spirit. So where do we get it from? It comes from God the Father, does it not? Okay, here, these folks right here are getting it from God himself. Where does ours come from? God's sitting on the throne. Jesus is sitting at the right hand and us being a child of God, guess what? He sends it down to us, amen? Is that how it falls? Ain't that the level of the past? I mean, how it goes down? We get it from him. How do we get that from him? How do we get these fruits of the Spirit, Robert, that you're talking about over in Galatians? How do we get this peace? How do we get this meekness? By spending time with the Father. By not being too busy to spend time with God. By, not, by humbling ourselves instead of thinking we got everything under control, no matter what we're facing or going through, I got this. Humble yourself. Humiliate yourself. Put him first one time and see how things change in your life. You might be surprised at what he's got to show you. Meekness is allowing the one who is meek and lowly at heart to rule your life, our emotions, our behavior. Do you allow Jesus to do that? I don't know how many of y'all know this, probably most of you do, but I play a little bit of golf every now and then when my wife lets me. I almost got hit with a golf ball two times in the last two weeks. I think God's trying to tell me something. And it wasn't me to hit the golf ball that liked to hit myself either now, so don't even try that. But it is dangerous. But the boy that I was playing with that was riding with me in the cart, got all bent out of shape, son. I think he got madder than I did. You know, and my thought was, well, it didn't hit me, and I'm all right, you know? That's the first thing. It didn't hit me, and I'm all right, so good, good, right? And then running, the boy that me said, that didn't make you mad? I said, well, it scared me more than anything else. He said, well, they're a bunch of idiots back there. I said, let it go. Just let it go. I said, here's the way I look at it. We got to the next tee box, and Ronnie had done and hollered over there at him and told him, said, y'all a bunch of idiots, y'all need to come over here and apologize to that man. I mean, he was letting them have it, son. And then this is a deacon too now, by the way. <laughs> Baptist deacon. <laughs> so we get to the next tee box, and I said, look, I said, it's a good thing the ball didn't hit me, and it's a good thing for him that the ball didn't hit me. Because either I could have been dead, or if it would have hit me and I'd have been all right, he could have been dead. <laughs> so there again is a win-win for me, right? But Ronnie just, I mean, he just went off. But anyway, when we get to hole number 12, that was Tim. Get to hole number 12. I'll tell you this right quick. Get to hole number 12. He said, that didn't bother you. And I said, I said, no. I said Ronnie, I didn't say that. I said, it scared me. But I said, after I was all right, he was all right. I said, there's people in the world that are humble and are going to be apologetic to things that they do wrong, and then there's prideful people that don't pay no attention to that. It's all about, did you see how far I hit that ball? It ain't about almost hitting a man, it's how far I hit it. You know, it's all about him, you know? And he said, well, do you think I was wrong in the way I handled it? I said, absolutely. I said, I don't think you were wrong in what you said, but it was wrong in the way you said it. 
You've got to be humble and humiliated in correcting people who you realize are lost. You don't want to be prideful and boastful because if you do, you're going to lose them. Nine out of ten times, you're going to lose them. So you've got to be humble when you deal with things like that. There again being me. And where does that come from? That comes from God, does it not? That means you're spending time with God, does it not? Now, I'm not saying this gentleman didn't spend time with God, but I'm saying there again, the meekness is passed down to who God wants it to be passed down to. You understand? The same way with peace. He tells his son, go give him some more. Give him some more. Give him a little bit more. I'm, I'm praying for patience, and I don't know why God's waiting to give me that. He's, he's holding out on me for some reason, but I'm still praying for it. But there again, his time is not my time, and I'll get the patience when he wants me to have it. Understand this. Meekness being the opposite of pride is much required. Is a much required characteristic on the part of those who are going to live by, thus saith the Lord. Is that what you live by? When you read the word of God, is that what you read? This is what thus says the Lord says. Well, Robert, Ronnie, well, how did you handle that? I said, Ronnie, what does the Bible say? What does thus says the Lord say? If you're reading your Bible the way you ought to and understanding what God's given you to read, then you should know how to handle those situations. Okay? Are there going to be some to where your anger is going to take over? Yeah, why? Because we're the flesh, right? We're born in sin, we're shaped in iniquity, and all of that there's wound up, and God is trying to unwind that and get that out of our system, even though we have the Holy Spirit living there. We're still battling that. What did Paul say? I'm battling the flesh interesting, the prince of the air. I'm battling those things to get to where God wants me to get to. Live by what thus saith the Lord says. And in doing so, you'll understand a little bit more what meekness is. So now if you have a copy of God's word, turn over to Luke chapter 10 and let's see what God does say about this situation. Luke chapter 10, that's New Testament, right? Here we have a story, or parable, if you want to call it that. Or to start with, we have a story between Jesus and a lawyer. Uh, there again, we look at his lawyer as being someone who is very knowledgeable, who is someone who knows the ins and outs of the law, who knows how to uh, address problems and correct them in a way that only he knows how to do or can do. Uh, but it's not one like for me, that all the money that I put in the Robinson County Courthouse up there and building that new one that we got. And y'all can thank me for that later, by the way. Uh, it's not one of those kind of lawyers. This lawyer here knows all of the laws and the commands of the Old Testament. He knows all of the Levitical laws, the Mosaic law, law of Moses. He knows all of these things, okay? And this is how he feels like he needs to earn his way or get his way into heaven or get to where God is, is to be able to follow all 613 of these commands. You notice I said 613, right? Remember when we started in the Beatitudes, how many they were? Eight. We can't even follow them eight. How are we going to follow these 613 commands? That's a tough line to follow, right? But here we're going to see Jesus being tested by this lawyer as he is one who has come 
I don't know if the scribes seen him, the Pharisees, or if he just came on his own, just out of curiosity. But it says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. By tempted, that means tested. He's testing Jesus. Now, you're going to test the one that gave the laws to begin with and test the one that's given the new command. Amen? That ain't who I want to test. He knows it all. He's got all the answers. But it says this lawyer said he tested him saying, Master, so he recognized who he was, and he said, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? So as you look at that question and you think about inherit something, you know, like in the first thing, I was wanting to inherit just place in the mountains up there. He's going to leave that to me in his wheel. I'm working on that. I'm trying to get on his good side, but I don't know how that's going yet. But if you can put in a word for me, y'all, you know, they're sitting right over there. But inheritance, you think about getting on somebody's good side so that they'll leave you something, maybe one day when they die or whenever they decide they want you to have it. But it's someone that you know, someone that you have a relationship with, and it's someone that's, gonna, that's got something that maybe you want. And they're going to leave it to you. So you're going to inherit that. You know? And as you look at this scripture and you think about it, and you start breaking it down as you go through it, and you start talking about how do you inherit eternal life and get to that point, this lawyer's trying to find out. You know, it's like, well, let me tell you, it's a 10-step plan. Here's what you need to do. You know? That's not it. And I say that to say this. I had a guy from Michigan come down that helped me coach baseball, okay? And he was looking for a 10-step plan and how to get to heaven. And that's the question that he put before me. Now, this was back before I even started teaching Sunday school. This was back when Brooks and Brooks and Brooks were teaching. We had us a law firm in our Sunday school class. <laughs> and, you know, that was back in them days. Now, they were good, now I'm telling you, because they prepared me for this question that this kid asked me about the 10-step plan. And he said, I said, well, first of all, why did you come and ask me this question? And he said, well, the way you handle yourself around teachers, principals, the way you handle yourself around kids, he said, the way you handle yourself around other teens' kids, coaches, he said, you draw that question out of people. They want to know what you got and how you got it. So there's got to be some kind of 10-step plan to get to what you've got. And I said, no. I said, just believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And I said, turn everything over to him and he changes it all for you. That's the meekness that we have. I said, as far as getting along with the kids, I am a kid. If you don't believe me, ask my wife again. I love kids. I don't mind being one. I hope I'm like this all my life. But there again, I thank God for that there too because that there came from this church here, working with the kids in Awanas and things like that. I learned as much as they did, if not more. I learned how to interact with people. And that's what we don't have today. We have people going their own ways, doing their own things at their own time, and the one thing that they don't have time for is God or His Word. And therefore, the world is slowly slipping away into a place that we don't want it to go. Here, the lawyer's tempted. He wants to know about eternal life. So he decided to test Jesus, and he said unto him, What is written in the law? And how readest thou? What is written in the law? You're a lawyer. You know the laws. You know what's written in there. Are you doing what's written in there? 
The same thing here. How readest thou? How readest thou thy Bible that they have before you this morning? Are you reading it? Or does it collect dust in the back seat of your car from Sunday to Sunday? These are things that only you can answer. What do you read when you do read it? Does God give you something? Does he show you something that he wants you to work on? Something that he wants you to do? Maybe become a Sunday school teacher or work in mega sports camp. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe he's got something a greeter for you at the door or, or work in the children's department or teach a Sunday school class or get up here on the stage and sing in the choir, be a musician, maybe even bring the word. But he ain't got you here for nothing. He's got you here for a reason. And how you find out is get in this book right here in front of you. Read it. Understand it. As the lawyer knew the laws, Jesus wanted to know how, what did it mean to him. What does it mean to you this morning? What does it mean to have eternal life? What does it mean to be meek? It says in verse 27, it says, And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. So he answered correctly, amen? And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. There again, I thought that was kind of strange. I don't know, there again, translation you have, what that word is in your translation, but thou shalt live. It don't say thou shalt have eternal life, does it? It just says thou shalt live. You know, and like I tried to get over in the first service, we're alive, right? If we don't know Christ, we're dead. We're dead to him. But we can be alive, and we can have eternal life. But he said, you know the answer, but Jesus also knew something else, that he wasn't living what he just quoted. It's like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, John three sixteen. That's probably one of the first Bible verses any and all of us have ever learned in our life. You learned it. Do you live it? Do you understand it? In verse 29 it says, But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now don't you think that's kind of a sarcastic question? Who is my neighbor? This is a lawyer now. Come on. He knows everything. Who's my neighbor? What was he trying to do? Justify his what? His actions. For what he knew and what he wasn't doing, he was trying to justify it. Is that why you don't read your Bible today? If I don't read my Bible, I won't have to share it with nobody, will I? You know, I, I told a group the other night, I said, that's one reason why I tell people I don't like to read. Especially, we start reading books like Jeff's got me reading, but anyway, the Bible I don't mind. But I, when I first became a believer in Christ, you know what I thought? Well, if I don't read it, then I won't have to share it, and I won't have to stand God and get an answer for it. You know, that's what I was thinking. But it don't work like that, trust me. Because God gives it to you, and he gives it to you, and he keeps giving it to you to the point that you want to read it. You want to find out what's going on. You want to be able to share more and more and more. And there again, the more you read, the more you're accountable. And I thank God for that today, Jeff. I mean, I wouldn't have it no other way. You want to know the whole truth? There it is. Front to back. And it says here, parable of the Good Samaritan says this, 
And Jesus answering said, now Jesus is going to give the lawyer his answer here so that he can put him on the spot and pass the test that he was given. Parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho. So going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, if you don't know, was about 18 miles. Okay? Jerusalem to Jericho. Okay, Jerusalem was where the what was at? The temple? Okay, Jericho was where the priests and the Levites and most of the Jewish people lived during that time. So they had to travel that road up and down to get from where they lived to the temple, okay? Now, this road was not just a straight road. It was a winding road, and it went through 17 miles, and it went through a mountainous terrain, which was perfect for people to set up robbers, okay, to steal and rob you, okay, which is what happened here. It says a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, as I read this right here and was looking at things to talk about here this morning or preach on this morning, I'm looking here and thinking back to the garden that I spoke to you about a few minutes ago where everything was perfect and pure for two people that were living there and how it was taken from them by Satan himself. And that's the problem that we deal with today. As being Christ followers, those of this morning who are Christ followers, we deal with that this morning. We have, a, we have Satan attacking us every which way he can. He's trying to, to find somewhere on the road of our life to rob us of our joy and our purity and our understanding that we have with God. He's trying to find that place just like he did here. And it says he left him half dead. He didn't say he left him half alive. He said he left him half dead. For me, being half dead is half alive. You understand? And when I was in the garden, guess what? I was fully alive because there was no sin and I had that relationship with God because he came and walked with me every day in the garden. But when Satan came in and sin entered in and God had separated himself from man, now I'm half dead and half alive. Now I've got to make a choice, don't I? If I want to live eternity with him in heaven, then I've got to make a decision, don't I? And if I don't make that decision, guess what happens? The Bible says his names are not written in the book. Lamb's book of life will be cast into the what? Lake of fire, does it not? So you still, like the lady told me this morning, she corrected me. She said, you will still live. And I thank God for that. Because that's what I asked for this morning. I got what I asked for. I made a mistake. She corrected me. And I thank God for it today. Could I have been mad and upset about it? Yes, I could have. But that's not meek, is it? But that's what we're here for. I told her, I said, at least I know you didn't go to sleep while I was speaking. But anyway, half alive, it says, verse 31, it says, by chance, good night. It says, by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So a priest came by. So what do we think about a priest? A priest is someone who's teaching the word of God, is he not? who's leading in the synagogue, who's doing the sacrifices, doing all these things. You got a priest that goes by, that goes by and sees this man, but goes by on the other side. Why do you think that was? Why did that happen? Why would a priest not take time to help someone in need? Would you? 
you got to understand a little bit more about the law, I guess. When you start talking about the law of Moses, Levitical law and things of that nature, when you start looking back into the Old Testament, if a priest touched that man and that man died, guess what? That priest was unclean. He had to go through a seven-day cleansing to get back into the priesthood, to get back on track. Therefore, he said, no way, not today, Jose. You know, I'm not going to take that chance. I got to go. I, I got to do something anyway. He's thinking more about himself, you know. And my thing is, I'm going to put my faith in God with what he should have done and let, put that man's hands in God's hands. And guess what? That man more than likely would have lived, wouldn't he? There's a chance, right? It said he was half dead, so that means he could have lived. And the priest's hands would have been what? Clean. Wouldn't have had to go through the cleansing process. But the faith would have been where it needed to be. The humbleness would have been there. The compassion would have been there. But instead, he chose to do what? Walk down the other side of the road, as we so often do in our lives today. And it says, And likewise a Levite, when he was at place, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. So the Levite comes by. Why didn't the Levite stop? He went by and looked at him. He went to where he was at. That's more than the priest done, amen? So the Levite's better than the priest, right? Because the priest didn't even go look at him, did he? Saw him, went by on the other side. At least the Levite went to where he was at, seen he was in trouble, and said, well, I think my wife's got dinner done. I think I better get on to the house. I ain't got time to mess with that man today. You know, I, I don't, maybe he thought he was going to get robbed too. I don't know. But I know he went by on the other side of the road. So often we do that same thing. It says here, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. We all know the story about the Samaritans, Right? Jews and Samaritans did not get along, amen? They didn't believe in the same things or didn't think they did. Samaritans lived right in the middle of Israel. So, like I said, you got people that would be willing to travel from one side of Samaria to the other that would literally go through the Jordan River twice than to just walk straight through Samaria. Is that what we do? Do you go out of your way to avoid somebody? Do you go out of your way to avoid telling somebody about Jesus? Do you go out of your way to keep from hurting somebody's feelings about same-sex marriages, abortion, things of that nature? Do you go out of your way to keep from saying something that God wants you to say or do what God wants you to do? Because if you are, you're no different than they are. No different than they are. They knew what was right and what was wrong, and they still chose go around him. They could have stopped and helped the man. But they didn't. The Samaritan did. The Samaritan was on a journey. Wasn't one to pass through there on a regular basis. These guys went up and down this mountain every day. Every day. Up and down. It says the Samaritan was journeying to come where he was and when he saw him he had compassion on him. He had compassion on him. We don't use that word a lot today, do we? Compassion. Do you have compassion on people today? Do you have compassion on people? I ain't just talking about the people that live in your household. I'm talking about people. You know, I, I told Jeff at the end of, before the service started, I left something out of the first service, you know. He said it might not have needed to be said, but 
when you look at this right here, when I looked at it and started reading it the, the, about the fifth time I'd done it, when you start looking at all these names on here, you got the priest, and you got the Levite, you got the Samaritan, you got the man that was hurt, and then you got the man there, the, the host that was in the, the hotel or wherever he carried him to. You got all these people in there. This Samaritan, when he came to this man, he looked on him as a man. He looked on him as a child, as someone who needed help. That's what he saw. He didn't see a Jewish person there. He didn't see a Gentile person there. But if he did, it didn't say. He didn't act like it anyway. He saw someone in need. And for us today, as far as meekness goes, there's a lot of people in need. And it may not be just physical things that we have or they need. Spiritually, there's needs. And that not only comes from people who are lost, but that comes from people who are saved. I had a Christian brother Wednesday night to come up to us after the service we had over at Baltimore, came up to us and said, look, will y'all come back here and lay hands on me and pray for me? He said, I'm going through a lot and it's dragging me down. And he said, I know who God is and I know what God says, but I just need y'all to put your hands on me and pray for so it can not only happen to someone who's beat down, bleeding, and hurt, but it can happen to someone who knows God as well, who needs that support from somebody, that meekness, that loving, that compassion that we have. But it says, and he went to him. He said he had compassion on him. He said he went to him, bound up his wounds. What did he bind his wounds up with? He probably had to take his coat off or his robe or whatever he had on and tear it and make bandages with it. He took wine, poured oil on it, and then he poured wine on it, poured wine to cleanse it. He put the oil to close it up, wrapped him up in bandages, set him on his own beast, put him on his own beast. He was willing to walk so that this man could ride. And he says he brought him to an inn and took care of him. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. It don't say he brought him to the inn, throwed him off his animal, left him at the door and said, knocked on the door and said, here he is. I've done all I can do, now you take care of him. That ain't what he done. He said he took care of him, and it said he stayed with him all night, it says, and on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence. He stayed with him all night. Now this ain't his mama or his daddy or his uncle or his aunt or his sister or brother. This is, somebody, this is a total stranger that he's willing to help. Not only willing to help him with what he had as far as helping him heal his wounds and cover them up, he was willing to help him with his animal and his money. He said, well, Robert, you're getting a little close now. You're talking about my money. Listen, God gave it to you. God can take it away. If he tells you to use it for something, guess what you better do? Guess what you better use it for? Use it to build God's kingdom, and that's what they're doing here. That's what he's doing here. So he took two pence out and gave it to the host. And he said this to the host, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. So if I go down to the gas station to fill up and tell the man I'll be back next Friday to pay him when I get paid, you ready to let me go? I don't think that's gonna happen to you. <laughs> it hadn't happened so far. But this host right here had to see something in this man. 
had to see something in this man that said, well, he was willing to take his time and care for this individual, pick him up, bring him here, pay for what he's already eaten and stay, and willing to, if it cost any more, to come back and pay it. Now, if that don't sound like you savor today, folks, I don't know what you're thinking about. Because not only was he willing to come and die so that you could have eternal life, but even when you slip up and fall and get hurt, he's willing to bind up your wound and tell you that he still loves you. He don't cast you out. He takes you in. Whatever the cost may be, he takes care of it. That's the God we serve. That's the meekness in him. That he loves us that much. That he cares about us that much. Let me finish up right quick here. And it says, which now of these, Jesus says, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. As you look at that right there, and Jesus asked him which one of these was the neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves, what do you see? What do you see? What does he say? What does it say there? He that showed mercy on him. Is that what it says? What don't it say? What don't it say? The lawyer is still not willing to recognize the Samaritan as the one that showed mercy. He's still not willing to let that part go. That prideness, that pridefulness, he's not willing to let it go. And how do you expect to get meekness when you can't let go of the pride? You think God works like that? I don't think it works like that. Summarize this right here as you go back to Chapter 5, verse 5 of Matthew, we talk about inheriting the earth. It says, no, no one boasts of man, for all things are yours. By being one of God's children this morning, this is part of my inheritance, because I am Christ, and Christ is God's. By being a child of Christ this morning, guess what? Christ being a child of God, I'm an heir to the throne this morning. I have access to it on a daily basis. In my car, at home, on my lawnmower, golf course, in the church, wherever I'm at, I have an open advocate with the Father. Now that I'm one of his, that's part of my inheritance, folks. The cattle on a thousand hills that my father owns, guess what? I own too. We share that, okay? Because I know who he is. I love him. I care about him. He loves me in return. More than I can ever know. This morning, I got to ask you this question. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? As Jesus shared the Beatitudes with his disciples, are you a disciple of his this morning? Are you a follower of his? Are you trying to get all you can get from him and growing into what he wants you to be? That meekful, humble person that's willing to do whatever he asks you to do. Are you sitting at the feet of the mountain? Are you sitting on the mountain this morning? Are you sitting at the feet of Jesus this morning, listening to him explain these Beatitudes? Blessed. How happy do you want to be this morning? Do you trust him? Do you trust what God's word says? 
Do you trust him enough to understand and be willing to follow him no matter what? Takes a lot to do that, doesn't it? Takes a lot of trust, takes a lot of faith, takes a lot of strength, takes a lot of courage. All of the stuff that I just named, guess what? Comes from him. Comes from him today. Are you waiting patiently for him? If you answered yes to any of these questions, God has already begun to help you and will help you more. He will assure you that your heart is a fellow heir to Jesus Christ and that the world and everything in it is yours. Talking about having people talking about, well, I want so much, I want so much, I want so much while I'm here. Not me. My wife said, you're probably one of the most content persons I know. You're just happy with, with what you got. You know, there, there again, he says, I will supply your what? Your needs, not your wants, right? People say, what do, you, what do you need? I said, I don't need a thing. I said, he supplies everything I need, and he does. I don't know how he does it, but after reading this, I do. It says one more thing here. It says, he did not spare his own son. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not freely give us all things with him? If he's willing to give up his son for you today, to die for you so that you could have eternal life, so that you could inherit the things that he's got promised for you. If he's willing to give you all of that, is that not all things? He owns it all, folks. He's in control of it all. It says no good things will be upheld from those who walk uprightly. In closing with this, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist.